Flavors and Knowledge is a bilingual podcast focusing on gastronomic education in relation to a healthy lifestyle through Food First. Our philosophy carries a moral obligation of sharing sensible knowledge to generate social awareness. Podcasts are in English with an accent and Italian. Listeners, welcome back. This is Chef Walter Potenza with another episode of Flavors and Knowledge. Today, we'll be speaking about a Rhode Island food pioneer. I happen to live in Providence and, uh, of course, work and operate in the little Italian section called the Federal Hill, which is, of course, the center of the food scene here in our state. And I get a chance, of course, to meet many of uh, what we call old-timers who have made a serious contribution in the development of Italian food and products throughout the state and the region. And so this is a little bit of a chronology because uh, this man really deserves to be uh, visualized as one of the leaders. In a time when uh, in Rhode Island food in the 60s was very scarce, or at least Italian ingredients were not very popular, only so many of them were available, and Tony happened to be the one who began the promotion and the diffusion of these products. This is a chronology that I wrote about him. The ship Cristoforo Colombo was docked in the Bay of Naples in Italy. May 20 was a warm day, the sun beating on the passengers patiently waiting for their turn to the ramp that would take them inside the huge vessel bounded for New York City. Antonio Di Chico was one of the passengers, waiting in line for what must have been a journey filled with anxiety and uncertainties. From this verse onward, we're gonna call him Tony, the American adopted name. This could be another typical story about an Italian immigrant leaving the country seeking a better tomorrow, but it has more, and you will see further in the podcast why I decided to write about Tony. The Cristoforo Colombo arrived at Pier 42 eight days later, on May 28, 1955. Tony was 20 years old, a young man filled with energy, self-assurance, and none at all intimidated. The American dream began in Rhode Island with a mixed bag of the low-paying job as a construction helper, followed by a jeweler polisher at Ankers, a company owned and operated by Italians who hired many freshly arrived Italians. Ankers headquarters was located at the end of Atwells Avenue near Valley Street toward Manton Avenue not far from the center of Rodano Lille, Italy, known across the country as Federal Hill. And just like any ethnic group, Italians sought places where the rest of the compatriots were living, almost like 
redesigning the life they had left behind, but in a brand new context. Living abroad was already difficult due to the integration and language assimilation, not to mention the social and economic disparity that confronted them every day, and adjusting was not always an easy task. But like many of the resilient Italians, Tony found his route, secured a good apartment, while the job at Ancas began to pay well. He earned much more than most of the low-paying group because of the piecework system that was in place, the more rings you polish, the more you make. His mother eventually joined him, and with his brother Carmelo, the reunification of the family was partially completed. His father remained in Italy, working for the local municipality. Tony was born on October 4, 1935, in the town of Sant'Ambrogio, in the province of Cassino, southern territory of the Lazio region, near the river Garigliano. Early life took him to spend about three years in Albania, in the city of Durazzo. His father, at the time, was employed with the Italian government and was stationed there, and to avoid the distancing from his family, decided to keep everyone together. Second World War had just begun, and Albania provided a safe refuge from the bellicose confrontations. One bright morning, Tony walked into Ancas for the daily shift and noticed a sign posted on a blackboard. A food store on Federal Hill was looking for young, energetic Italians to be hired as stock boys. Later in the evening, Tony paid a visit to the store, and after an informal interview, he was hired. Gregory Sabatini owned and operated Gregory Colonial Food, selling basic Italian imports, cold cuts, cheeses, and dry goods. The store had been on the hill since 1920, providing ingredients for the packed Italian community and their cooking rituals. In those days, the hill counted about 40,000 residents, plenty of food stores, butcher shops, ice cream parlors topped with a daily outdoor market on Balbo Avenue, with the vendors lined up the wooden carts selling anything from fresh chicken, fresh fish, fruit and produce. Think of it as an elaborate outdoor supermarket. Freshly slaughtered pigs, cows and goats hanging from the butcher's front door. The place was a toy house for anyone into cooking and of course raising a family. Italian food ingredients at the time were very marginal. Just one olive oil was available. Some brands of second quality dry pasta canned tomatoes of mediocre standards, and certainly no balsamic vinegar or some of those great cheeses and condiments we find today. Italian food regionality had not arrived yet, but the immigrants were thankful that at least they were able to connect home through some food memories. This was the time when many new dishes were created and eventually enrolled in what we call today American-Italian cuisine. Dishes created in Italy, brought here by the immigrants, but altered according to local ingredients, availability, and overall taste. 
Life was running without major obstacles. Tony kept working long hours in the store, learning the trade, hoping to climb to another level soon. While all of this was happening, he realized that being alone was no fun. He needed a partner in life. And rooted in old world tradition, Tony returned to Italy, seeking a soulmate that could accompany him in the arduous journey toward the American dream. It was 1961, just about six years after he had arrived in New York. Through several local connections, he was able to meet a young lady living in a nearby farm town of Santa Polinare, not far from Sant'Ambrogio, and in less than four months he was married. Elina Costantino was barely 17 years old, and her dad signed for the marriage agreement because Elina was underage. Angelic, beautiful and timid, Elina joined Tony and together returned to the States and started a family. Gregory's colonial food store was doing well, but the aging owner was contemplating retiring. He deeply valued Tony's sense of responsibility, discipline and loyalty, and offered the opportunity to purchase the business from him. After some financial considerations, Tony decided to buy the entity as well as the real estate. And after a lengthy transaction, on July 1, 1969, renamed the location Tony's Colonial Foods. The store on 311 Atwells Avenue was small in size, but it served the purpose of accommodating the elementary needs of the local community. In the early 70s, the state of Rhode Island was going through a transformational change as far as gastronomy. As the new waves of immigrants reached its shores, the need of expanding became a matter of survival. It was the time when the demand for newer and exotic foods was expanding. Consumers traveled much more, expanded their food knowledge, and of course expected to find new flavors on the shelves. This also coincided with the birth of new restaurants led by energetic chefs seeking leadership on the quest of establishing the new hotspot in town. Federal Hill was booming, thanks also to Barisianzi, the mayor of the city, who fully embraced the resurgence by marketing War 13 across America as one of the most important Italian immigration colonies. Tony Di Chico was well aware of the occurring changes and led the resurgence by reinventing himself and his business. He traveled to Italy very often to attend food conferences and trade shows, seeking new and innovative products for the store. Soon after, the shelves were filled with the latest goodies, such as the finest in dry pasta, San Marzano tomatoes, fresh tenet cheeses, olives from unusual regions, the finest olive oil, and all the best confections available. It was certainly a gamble, not certain if the community was receptive to the changes. High-quality foods demanded high prices offered to a community that was still trailing on the economic scale. But Tony gambled on the novelty establishing himself as an ambassador of the new Italian foods in the state. 
quality ingredients paired well with his rich knowledge about food history and geography, and quickly turned Tony Colonial Foods from a normal grocery store to an Epicurean landmark. Consumers came from all over New England, and eventually the state residents embraced the fresh and innovative concepts. Rhode Islanders did not take too many chances when it came to food that they did not recognize. They were afflicted by the wait-and-see syndrome. Eventually, they came around and supported the idea in full. And just to give you a parallel about this, I personally opened a restaurant in the 80s in the town of East Greenwich, designed with the rich decor, expensive chairs, bone china from Portugal, and cutlery from Italy. The menu was written in grammatical Italian and properly translated in English. The cuisine was fresh, creative, regionalized, and much avant-garde. I became a quick sensation across the land, featured in prominent New York Times, Washington Post, and many others. But it took seven years before the Providence Journal, the local newspaper, wrote an article on the restaurant and on myself. That is called Apple Pie and Ice Cream. Well, Tony DiCicco confronted a similar fate, but his vision, energy, and endurance positioned his message in the primary gate. He never looked or copied anyone. He just led this cultural train to the station. Tony was a pioneer, an indisputed leader in his field, one that opened the doors to the many food concepts that followed. He was the initial ambassador that led the resurgence, the man whose belief and sense of food morality won the trust of the consumers. As he often says, give customers the best quality and explain why. People want to be educated on food, and education is an identical value of quality. They go together, and they cannot be separated. Well, many years have gone by since 1969, Tony Colonial Food is still on 311 Atwells Avenue. The business is now in the hands of his lovely daughter, who continues with the same intensity and quality-driven philosophy. She can always rely on her father to open the doors at 8.30 a.m. every single day. She can always rely on him to be behind the counter, educating consumers on the new flavor and the latest pasta sensation. Tony has recently turned 85 in October 2020. The journey filled with anxiety and uncertainties in 1955 developed into an immeasurable success, one that he shares with his omnipresent wife Elena, who has stood by him in any weather. And yes, the American dream for a better tomorrow was accomplished, but a legacy was also established. Tony Chico has been a pioneer in the food world in Rhode Island, and his chronology is a small token of appreciation from all of us who make good food our life. And that is all about Tony Di Chico here on 311 Atwells Avenue in the center of a federal hill in the city of Providence, Little Italy. If you have a chance, subscribe to Flavors and Knowledge on your preferred platform. And if you need a couple of good recipes, take a look also on our blog, chefwalterfinefoods.com forward slash blog. Lastly, if you happen to be in Providence on Federal Hill, seek for Tony. You will always be behind the counter at 8 a.m.
he'll be waiting for you and for all of the chefs across the area here to learn something new. Take care, be well. Ciao with you next time. Ciao, ciao. Flavors and Knowledge is brought to you by Chef Welch's Cooking School in Cranston, Rhode Island. For classes, workshops, events, and programs, please visit our website at chefwalterscookingschool.com. For all other services offered by Chef Walter's Food Group, check out our main website, chefwalter.com. Hello, friends. Please consider supporting my Flavors and Knowledge podcast. Donated proceeds are applied to absorb the cost of cooking classes and health education for children. Help a child affected with diabetes with a donation toward the proper management of the condition through Food First. This message is brought to you by Chef Walter's Children Diabetes Foundation.